welcome to another episode of Beating Alpha. This is episode 73, and I'm very excited for this uh, podcast show because, again, I have a very special guest on. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, a lot of great insights into multifamily investing, syndication, construction, development, and uh, what it takes to you know build those passive income streams and a lot of great, great topics that we, we're going to cover today. So here in front of you, you're going to see Andrew Sheena. Um, so he's accomplished real estate developer, syndicator, sponsor, investment operator, and a business owner with over 36 million of development experience owning, uh, sorry, 36 million uh, of development experience owning and operating over 5 million in cash flow multifamily and having raised over 9 million of private investment capital. Andrew is consistently sought out not only as a partner, consultant, coach, and advisor, but as a steward of investor capital. Andrew is passionate about real estate, personal and professional growth, financial education, mindset, and his family. Uh, and uh, again, you can check him out on Instagram, Andrew Sheena, and uh, LinkedIn as well, uh, Facebook. Uh, so Facebook is Capital Equity Partners. So of course, those links you can find down below as well. But again, as I said before, prior to the interview, it's a great, great pleasure to be connecting with you, Andrew, today. No, honestly, Martinez, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on your show and to have an opportunity to speak to your audience. And, and as we were just kind of mentioning before, um, yeah, anything that I can generally, anything we talk about that might be able to help somebody in their path, I'm, I'm uh, incredibly grateful to, for the opportunity to do that. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Again, you know, I love having, you know, people just like yourself on again, because you have a lot of experience and, you know, it speaks, it speaks a lot to me. And again, to the audience, like uh, 36 million of development experience, $36 million again, uh, of real estate experience. But I would like to kind of start off uh, like the journey, the beginnings, you know, I know everybody has a different story and I'm sure you have a great story as well. So I'd like to kind of, kind of talk about your story, your entry point into real estate investing and how did it start for you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll, I can be long winded, so I'll try and tell a somewhat short version, uh, of, of the story. So, um, I started out in the mortgage business back in 2001, um, after, I had originally worked at ESPN coming out of college. I went to school for broadcast journalism, worked there for about a year, realized it wasn't the path that I, I wanted. And I read the, you know, the famous purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was really the first thing that really started setting me on my path to understanding kind of cash flow and financial freedom and really financial education. So after kind of bouncing around to a couple of different jobs in my early 20s, I landed in the mortgage business uh, as a mortgage broker. And from there, I really got my true financial education, uh, income, assets, uh, liabilities, credit. And I ended up working with uh, a number of different real estate investors that just owned, you know, small two to four unit buildings, nothing large, but, um, you know, some had, you know, more than a few. So understanding how the, the, the cash flow process worked. Um, that was generally my, that was my first entry into understanding the financial side of it and, and piqued my curiosity. Uh, by 2008, I got my salesperson's license as a real estate agent to better start understanding the asset side of the equation and really understanding what, what features and what, uh, you know, construction types or, um, you know, different components of a, of a property and what's important, um, within a building process. And I also grew up in the, in the trades. My dad was a, an electrician. And so I always spent summers generally working with him on job sites and helping him run wire and install things. So I was always around construction growing up. So it was a little bit in my blood, so by 2000 and, uh, 2009, I, we, we, 2008, 2009, uh, I started investing into my education and attending RIAs and, and uh, real estate investment associations locally just to understand the investment world a little bit more. I didn't, I didn't get my salesperson's license to help Mr. and Mrs. Smith find a home. I did it to be able to understand you know, cash flowing assets and, and real estate from a construction perspective a little bit more. Um, 
instead of just the, you know, the brief exposure I had as a teenager. So the next step was, so the, the downturn came and the mortgage business was difficult by, but by about 10, uh, 2010, I started getting the itch again and started reviewing a lot of the information that I had learned through the RIA process and started uh, my education, my own personal education uh, and, and invested in a course and began studying that course and the systems and procedures that led me into and my business partner into development. And that was 2011. So we began, um, we began with just flipping kind of some single families. And then well, actually we started out, our first project was a three family and we started getting into raising additional capital for other properties before we really even knew what syndication really was. So my, my education from like 2012 and 13 through today has included like full syndication training, um, actually, um, you know, under taking another step. So building some cash flow, um, or building up some cash flow properties, continuing to do, uh, going from just general cosmetic flips to ground up construction. Um, and then really parlaying all of that experience into, larger commercial sized uh, multifamily um, assets, which we have recently get into in the last couple of years. And, and that's, that kind of brings us to today. So we do still do a little bit of development, looking for different types of opportunities locally here in Boston. It's tough to find some really solid cash flowing opportunities here in Boston, but it's more of a, because it's more of an appreciation market. Mm -hmm. um, but we're still looking at cash flowing commercial assets out in, a commercial multifamily out in the Midwest and the Southeast and just kind of monitoring those markets right now, figuring out um, where we want to strike and what we want to do next. Awesome. So again, great story, but the, I have so many questions, uh, but yeah. I, would, I, I would like to ask that first question, which is you started your education 2008 and nine, kind yep. of the worst time to be in a real estate industry. So why did yep. you start it at that time? So, when 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 I began attending RIAs, one of the first things I learned by you know from networking there and talking to other individuals and other investors was that in real estate investing you can make good money in or you can make money in down markets as well as up markets. So, but you just have to understand the market, and that's when the foreclosure boom was was really happening. So there were a lot of people there to, to learn about foreclosure. So, you know, I began to learn about the process and being from having the experience on the, the finance side, I kind of understood, you know, that, that side of it and the, and the things that, you know, revolve around the foreclosure process. So understanding the foreclosure process, uh, locally, and then understanding, okay, well, I need to know how to market to these people and understand how do you, how do you help these individuals that are going through this process avoid foreclosure um, because that's the ultimate goal and, and try to save equity they may have in their house and just understanding their full, the full breadth of their situation. So that was, that was 2008, 2009. That was the, the height of it. So, uh, or the height of it, it was really the beginning of it. And it was, that was why I decided to start getting my education at that point, because it was something I, I inherently knew about because my world of mortgage finance and, and getting my real estate license kind of coincided and, and they all kind of came together. So it allowed me to be able to help others that might be in a situation that they didn't like to be in uh, or, or weren't in a, they were in a foreclosure situation. I wouldn't say they like to be in. I don't think anybody enjoys being in that situation, but being able to have the education to help somebody maneuver uh, a, a kind of a, a situation like that was, was beneficial. I'm always looking to kind of, I'm never out to, you know, I'm never out to try and pirate property. I'm, I'm always out to try and help a situation. How can I help somebody alleviate an issue and then figure out, okay, can that, can I, can I profit off of this as well? You know, by, by doing good by others. So that was, uh, that was the beginning. Awesome. Awesome. So talking about the real estate development experience, which is uh, you managed 36 million dollars worth of the project. So mm -hmm. where did that start in, in your, in your, um, you know, in your life. At that so point. that, I mean, that started, um, that, I mean, that started in 2011 and, you know, 
based, you know, we, we started with one small three family in, in South Boston, Massachusetts, which is where our, our office is located. And from there, over the years, we just began to take on larger and more difficult projects. And it was, it was what, one so, of the things. So can, can I ask you what type of projects you're talking about more difficult? So what are those? Sure, sure. So when I say more difficult projects, I, you know, I say like um, going in and just doing a cosmetic renovation of a, let's say a single family. Um, it's from a construction perspective or a flip perspective. It's pretty easy. You know, if you're not moving plumbing, you're not moving electrical, you're not moving walls and you're just replacing cabinets and countertops and tile and mm -hmm. maybe replacing a fixture here and there. I mean, that's as basic as any type of renovation generally gets. It's referred to more of as a cosmetic rehabilitation or a cosmetic rehab. Uh, we call them fluff and buffs. So, you know, when you start getting into full gut renovations where you are, you know, ripping apart everything and leaving a four wall shell and a, and a roof structure, you know, that is where uh, we, we started going down that path. And then we started doing projects where, you know, you, you were digging out basements and recon, you know, with the full gut, you're reconfiguring floor plans of individual units within a three family. And the three family is just a triple, like a triple stack, uh, excuse me, a triple stacked floor plate uh, residential property. Very common here in, in the Boston market. Um, and then we started getting into, you know, doing additions. So we started kind of playing with properties where we could, you know, we're actually going to start doing foundations. And in all of these projects, you know, we began like with a, with a quick little fluff and buff or cosmetic job. You don't need any architectural or engineering for the most part to go into those. So when you start getting into full gut renovations or doing additions, and then we start doing ground up projects, um, it, it, you know, you start becoming familiar with the engineering trades that you need in order to accomplish your goal. So architectural engineering, structural engineering, um, those are the two, those are the two main ones. And then when you, st and then you start getting into civil design and civil engineering, when you start needing, uh, you're doing ground up projects with serve, you know, certified plot plans and utilities because you're going to tap into or replace, you know, plumbing lines and sewer lines and putting in sprinkler, like direct uh, sprinkler access for fire suppression, uh, sprinkler systems within a building. So once you begin and then in Caltech systems or what people refer to as uh, recharging systems, groundwater recharging systems. So these are all the things as you begin to get larger in scale and get more involved or deeper into projects are the educational hurdles that you begin to just starting to, to start to have to overcome. And that's from, that's from a project side, from the actual construction side. But more importantly, we began to really truly understand the, the zoning process within the city of Boston, which is, you know, trying to either expand a footprint or to, to build something that, that may be larger within a, a different type of multifamily zone. Um, so really trying to do more complex jobs and understanding the neighborhood and the community process and and the zoning process and how that works and working with a community and, and working within those guidelines and doing traffic, um, uh, excuse me, doing traffic plans and, and, you know, for the transportation department and uh, the DPW and well, they call them traffic mitigation plans and things like that to actually understand. It's not just a, you're not just doing a kitchen and a bathroom. You're literally affecting a neighborhood. So you have to be able to route traffic around and pedestrians around safely around a project. So those are the things that as, you know, when I had said for like from 2013 on are the things that we really started getting an education on and started to work with. So the larger and the more complex and difficult projects that you do, the, um, it's not just the, the aspect of the construction, but it's all of the ancillary engineering and associations and government um, uh, you know, government departments you need to be able to work in and out of and do it effectively because it all takes time and time is money when you come to developing real estate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, again, talking about your development experience, what do you consider your own like biggest project uh, that you accomplished, you know, in, in that time? So I mean, the biggest project we've done to date is, I mean, 
I could talk about multiple projects going on at one time, but I mean, the largest single asset we've ever built ground up is four store is a four unit building. It's a, a 5,700 square foot building. I mean, the two of the units were pretty sizable. Uh, if, if you, you know, we would love to have cut it up into six units, but it ended up being two bigger, two big units and two, uh, good, you know, average size units, uh, here in South Boston. Um, but at that time we also, you know, while building that, we also had an additional five or six units, excuse me, I believe it was five units in, in different parts of the city as well, kind of in similar, uh, in similar process. So there were two ground up buildings going on at the same time. And one was another, um, partial renovation. Uh, so, you know, it's, it seems like, uh, it, there was a lot going on at one period and, um, it's just, it's intensive when you're, when you're in the, in the thick of it. So, but yeah, the largest asset we've ever built was, uh, was four units. And, you know, we still are unfortunately holding on to two of those units right now. Actually, one of them is about to go into contract, but that's a coronavirus story for another day. Okay, got it. So again, the, que uh, the, the question is for you. I think people w would have that question because it came up, came up in my head also. Because you, you said you doing these kind of extremely, you know, extreme flippings, as mm -hmm. I would call, you know, like taking just gutting everything in the house and kind of leaving the walls and the roof. That's all you do. So where do you actually make those decisions? Like, should I start from the ground up and kind of build from from scratch or should we gut it and keep, just keep the walls and the roof like? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And I mean, the, the safe answer, the safe play is to say, look, you know, educate yourself, right? You know, either look into, you know, listen to podcasts like this one, um, go to different types of um, real estate investment associations and network with like-minded individuals. And, and, you know, if you want to invest in some courses and invest into, uh, invest into different types of uh, platforms that will help teach you specific things that you want, do a lot of reading. Um, but eventually all of that has to lead to taking action sooner or later. Like you can only read and study so much and then you just got to take action and do it. And my, that, that's probably one of the best ways that I always learn. Like I'm not afraid to fail uh, because I look at failure as being an opportunity to see what I did wrong and what should have been done and, and figure out the right way to do things. So um, I don't get down on myself if, if I fail about something. I look at it as I, it, it's not that I'm happy about it, but it's exciting because it's like, okay, we just learned something. So now how do we use that and apply that moving forward? So, you know, and, and we've done that year over year as we continue to kind of scale up our business and the types of things that we do. So, you know, studying, reading, and then taking action. So if you feel more comfortable with going in and just understanding how to do a kitchen and a bathroom, then, then start with something light like that, that just needs, you know, you, it, the, the property is in good shape and you can just go in and do some painting and maybe replace a couple of windows and do a kitchen and a bath and, and, you're, and you're done, then great. When you start finding properties that need a lot more work and you'll know them when you see them, that involve, you know, the building envelope with siding and roofing and insulation, uh, or if it needs, uh, you need to move walls or gut something and, and just, demo the whole place out we started our first project was a full gut three family so we didn't take the easy route first and at the end of the day we got in our first project was taking a i want to say it was about a 30 uh a, it was a smaller three family i want to say it was maybe 28 to 3200 square feet and we ripped it down to the studs and i remember walking through the building when it was a shell and, and just open and being like, like kind of an amazement being like, Oh my God, what, what did we just get into here? And, uh, but it was, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a learning process and to a degree, I'm happier. We went that in that direction, just due to the fact that we ripped the bandaid off. We weren't going to tiptoe into the water. We're just going to jump right in and get our hands dirty and, and understand what things are and, at the end of the day, you're going to lean on your, your contractor partners and professionals that are around your architect. You lean on these people to, and ask questions. I've, I've never been afraid to ask questions. Um, and it's funny. One good general contractor told me one day when I was asking him questions, like, well, why do you do this? And how does this work? And it's funny. He looked at me and he goes, you know, I was told a long time ago, he's like, never educate the person you're working for too much because 
next thing you know, you create, they're going to create their own general contracting company. Sure enough, a couple of years later, we started our own general contracting company. So, uh, you know, you just get comfortable in the process and comfortable with understanding what you're looking at and being able to, and when you're doing larger, larger projects, being able to, to read a set of blueprints and understand, especially when you get into larger projects, everything's called out for you. You know, the engineers call everything out. They design everything. So it's actually pretty easy. The smaller things can be more difficult because you're kind of learning on the fly and you're learning by doing. Whereas on much larger projects, I mean, even in the four unit building, they treated it more like a commercial building where, you know, they give you, um, you know, they give you the blueprints and the blueprints have everything you need to do on them. Just read them. And if you have questions, ask the engineering professionals what you're paying them for. Uh, and then you can pretty much share that with your, your contractors, the plans with your contractors, and you have a discussion about the, their, their, draw, the, excuse me, their scope of work and what they're doing and what they may see as issues on blueprints before you physically get into the field. So that's why, you know, you, sometimes you will hear that larger projects can be easier. And in, in some respects, that's right. They can from financing and raising capital to the actual construction and, and the process of the construction, because it's all done on paper prior to actually doing it in the field. Whereas a single family, a two or three family, you may have a set of engineering prints, but it's just a set of engineering prints and, and floor plans and verticals that, you know, just show the, the pictures of the property. It's not necessarily calling out the materials or um, calling out different specs that need to be done within, um, within one individual contractor's role. So that's where we ended up learning on the fly was just in that middle ground between single families and three families and just doing a lot of them and, and understanding we had our business systems in place. And like I'd said before, if we failed at something, we'd turn around, we'd look at what we did and try to improve that and that process moving forward. So that's just generally what we've done over the last, you know, for the most part in the development side of things, nine years. That is that is awesome. I mean, I love that you guys manage all these uh, all these projects. And again, as 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 you said in the beginning, you know, it comes down to the education. And you know, if you want to flip a house, maybe it's going to require you a smaller team, a smaller you know capital investment, you know, into yeah. the property. Which is like when you started throwing the ground up, you're talking about you know architectures, you know, uh, contractors, like the labor. Like there's a lot of moving pieces that are involved in that. But as you said, it's not it's not it's not that difficult to just read the read the blueprint. But still, it's like if the person doesn't have an experience in the game. Which again, as you said, there's a lot of different pieces uh, when it comes to zoning. So it it, it can it, it can be a little bit tricky, you know, in the beginning. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Absolutely, so, and it's 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 overwhelming. Trust me, I've had plenty of sleepless nights. You know, I've been completely overwhelmed at times. Sometimes, you know, staring at the ceiling trying to figure out what my next move is going to be. But you know, at the end of the day, you just you one foot forward every single day, and just keep you know just keep pushing, keep pushing, and you know. And, and you, you realize you'll be able to turn around and say, holy crap, I scaled that mountain. Uh, okay, that's great. I get over that. So let's, let's go on to the next challenge because every day is going to be a challenge in the development business. So, you know, if we talk about the challenges, you know, like how do you overcome those moments when, again, you're facing this roadblock, you know, ahead of you and it's like, oh, my God, it's going to be a problem because a lot of people choose to quit or change the direction, you know, mm -hmm. like they, they do a lot of different things, but they don't finish the project. Yeah. Will you do somehow overcome these, you know, uh, you know, problems that, that you're going to be facing? So like, what, like, how did you get in that zone, you know, the mindset? Like, I know you mentioned the books, but like how you can, you know, just go through the wall and just make it happen. So I think, I think it's a great question too, because that side of, I think all of us, every individual, it has to come from personal development. Um, I think, I think there is, there are two aspects to any business. There's the actual business itself. And then there's you, right? There's you battling your, your mental capacities, you battling your own emotions on a daily basis. Uh, if you don't have self-realization or, um, uh, and you can, you don't self-analyze yourself or what's going on in your own head or what's making you think a particular way, like the, let's say the people around you, or, uh, if they're negative or they're doubting you where they say, what are you going to get into real estate investing for? You're crazy. You're going to lose all your money. Well, you know, you start listening to those voices, you'll never do anything. So 
through any type of challenge. I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm a big proponent of just uh, reading and, and meditating uh, and, and prayer, like my spirituality, things like that. Um, I just, it's just something I, I've gotten into a habit and uh, of doing. And it's something I generally try to do four or five days a week. And um, meditation just helps you kind of just center and, and you know, remember what's important in your life instead of getting so hung up emotionally on issues and items that may be difficult at work. Um, so being able to become centered and understand where you are in, a, in, your, in your world and within your life, and all you're doing is looking at problems and saying, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Just find the solution and deal with the results and move forward with it. It is what it is. Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. And it's okay. Um, obviously, you continue to push for what you want. But if you don't always get what you want, sometimes you just get what you need. And, and you make a decision based on that and move forward. Don't dwell on it. Just move forward and say, look, that stinks. I, and uh, that's unfair. And I don't like that. But you know what? I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to move forward. And, and that's generally how I approach almost everything. And I try to keep a pretty upbeat mentality about things. I try to look for the silver lining in things. And I think that's just my personality and, and the way I kind of process my world and, and the decisions that I need, I need to make. Mm. I think, I think it's a very healthy thinking the way you, again, you look at the problems, even though sometimes it looks like as a problem, you still can find some positive things that you can take away from that. Instead of looking for these, you know, oh my God, like it's, it's so negative. If you're going to look for more negative, the more negative you're going to find. Yep. And it's going to be harder and harder for you to, you know, break through those, those uh, barriers, you know, going yeah. ahead. But, yeah, there's, you know, a, there's a famous individual, a fa very famous motivational uh, guy out there that is uh, probably one of the best. And Tony Robbins always says, he says, and, you know, I, I, I enjoy listening to his things and, and whatnot because it helps me understand my own personal world better which mm -hmm. can help me if, I, if my personal world is, is solid and on track, then all, all the other worlds that I have to touch around me within my days, I can affect that in the same positive way. But he always says, you know, life isn't always happening to you, it's happening for you. So mm -hmm. understand that the problems can be gifts and understand what are the positives you can take out of problems to either help better yourself or better someone else's situation. Or, you know, either it may not be that exact situation, but it could be your situation could be six months, a year from then where the same thing pops up and you may know how to deal with it that much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's very important. Like that, that's what I love. That's what I wanted to ask you the question about, you know, breaking through those barriers because yeah. a lot of people don't mention, you know, like the mindset piece, which is, it's the most important thing in a business in any business. Absolutely. Because 80% is, is the psychology and 20% is mechanics, right? So yep. like yeah. the way you think and the way you approach things, situations, the way you react. And again, talking about the Tony Robbins, uh, you know, I would recommend for people if you want to go and explore a little bit more in depth about Tony Robbins, because he used to study, uh, one of his mentors used to be a, a guy called named actually two guys called John Grinder and Richard Bandler. And every, mm -hmm. uh, some of you who are watching this and maybe heard these names, these are the people who were kind of the peer, uh, pioneers in the NLP, mm -hmm. uh, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, is basically mm -hmm. how do you decision making all that process. If you're, never, if you're watching this, you never heard that, I definitely recommend to go and check it out some books. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a big, big piece. You know, mindset is everything. Yeah, so, and, and I could agree more with you. And, and I, I even said to my wife, I'm like, you know, I wish I, because I'd heard of him. I just never had read anything or, or, you know, listened to anything that he had ever talked about. And a good friend of mine um, actually asked me, he's like, oh, have you ever listened to Tony Robbins or anything like that? I'm like, no, actually, no, never. And he's like, well, he said, sending me some, some things on him and uh, some YouTube just clips and about you know, things he talks about, not of him in, in individually, but just him in his talks or either in his seminars or something like that. And a lot of the stuff just started clicking. And I, so as things clicked, I was like, that kind of makes sense. I just said to my wife, even like not two weeks ago, I'm like, you know, I wish, I wish I started kind of reading or learning more about his message and what he talks about 20 years ago. I, it's just made such an overall impact on my own personal life and how I view and, and handle things that it's, um, you know, it's incredibly beneficial, but I'm, you know what, I'm grateful for the fact that I, you know, I learned of them, you know, a couple of years ago rather than, you know, instead of 10 years from now. So, yeah. but yeah, and your mindset's the, huge. 
and I love the fact that you're again by the way it sounds like and it seems like it, you're a big proponent of kind of going out there and educating in yourself first and and Absolutely. that's ex exactly what you did like 2008 2009 then 11 and 12 and then you started investing so yes. you inv invested in yourself first before you started investing in real estate always which again a lot of people looking from the opposite spectrum they're like oh i have to buy the property they they don't know the how to they don't have yep. the man side you know mindset for that so that's a big piece thank you for sharing agreed absolutely so talking about the multifamily, where did that came uh, about and what, oh, how long ago? Great question. So by about 2016, uh, I, you know, we had started having great success with the development projects. Uh, and I looked at it and said, well, this, you know, I understand that markets go in cycles. So sooner or later, the music will stop. And in the development business, when the music stops, you can get hurt pretty bad. Um, so... I started looking at it and saying to myself, okay, excuse me, um, we're going to need to understand and be and have more cash flow in the future. So as markets adjust, you know, well, people are always going to need a place to live. So we need to kind of position our model into a cash flow one as well. So that's that about that time is really what started me on my journey of, of understanding um, or I knew about cash flow, but understanding more of the mechanics of multifamily. So, uh, you know, I rinse, wash, repeat. It's, it, I, I literally invested into another program to, uh, from, from somebody who has done it and done it incredibly successfully, invested into that, got a little coaching and studied and did all the things I needed to do. And within a year and a half, we owned uh, our first 28 unit complex um, out in the Louisville, Kentucky, MSA, uh, Metropolitan Statistical Area. So we're actually in Southern Indiana, but we're just out, we're about 10 minutes north of uh, Louisville, downtown Louisville. So it's, um, and that property is doing great. So, you know, it went from reading a couple of books to finding a, a program that I wanted to invest and learn from, then going through the educational process and then taking the steps and learning and, and learning as I went on how to build those relationships uh, in, a, in a different market that rather than just home. And there were certain things that I was looking for in order to achieve in the multifamily space. So that's why I went to another market for yield, number one, because in Boston, you don't find a ton of yield. But number two, um, number two was just, you know, understanding the, you know, like you said, the mechanics. So understanding that 20% and learning that 20% of mechanics in order to be successful in that space. So it took us about a year, a little bit of a, a little over a year to find that first property. And we've held it now for two years and it's going fantastic. And, you know, we didn't want to just jump in and go out and buy another property right away. We wanted to manage it and understand the ebbs and flows over a year or so. Uh, before we went out and actually bought our, our second property. So now we're actually really starting to ramp up efforts to uh, look at a second property in the Louisville market. We've been down into the Tampa market uh, and looking at um, properties down in the Tampa St. Pete area as well, you know, following migration patterns and, and economies and local economies and what's, uh, what's really happening. But again, it was, it was the same process that started in 2008. And by 2011, I opened, we were opening our doors and now 2016 is I, I started that process again, just on the, the multifamily side, while also doing the development side uh, and executing those, those projects and those investments. And, you know, by 2018, we, you know, in two years, we had our first property and, you know, we've been, you know, looking and doing different things since then. So kind of just understanding the ebbs and flows. Yeah. I love it. So can you talk about a little bit more in detail? What, what did it take for you to find that 28 unit multifamily deal, you know, physically, like what did you do to, yeah, to make it happen? It's a great, it's a great question, right? Cause considering it's what, about 1800 miles away from here. Um, first steps is actually identifying markets and identifying, you know, one of the, the criteria that we use is, um, you know, we look for an emerging market and an emerging market definition to us is 2% job growth, 2% population growth, and 2% household formation. So once you have those, those statistics set and you look at that over, you know, the, the two to three year period, 
uh, in front of that. So what that's showing is as, as population growth or as job growth is happening, um, population growth follows job growth. And for every one job that's announced by a company, there are typically four ancillary jobs that surround that one job, uh, that job notification. And it starts with the construction. Let's say uh, it's a, someone like GE's moving all these jobs to Boston. Well, it's going to start with construction jobs and then could be local jobs for the local economy or people that may be moving with that company. But even more so, all those jobs are going to support, you're going to need the dry cleaner and the restaurant and the other service providers to that potential corporation. So it's a, it's a, as job announcements happen, it's a ripple effect. So population growth follows job growth and, and then household formation. Once you have enough people in a certain area, you know, people start meeting each other and then all of a sudden they boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, they start families and, you know, all these people need places to live. So those types of statistical data, you know, are what you look at for, you know, two bed and three bed apartments and complexes and where are people commuting to, where are these companies located? How far, how long does it take for people to get there? So you start looking at um, density and, and you start really kind of peeling into neighborhoods and traffic flows and where people are, are living and you understand where the, the fringe is um, and, or the path, and, and you look for the path of progress. And what you do is you try to find assets and, you know, that are within that path of progress and you just let the path of progress run you over, you know, and, and as it goes out beyond you, your property, you know, because you're improving your property and then you're getting better quality tenants to your property. And then your, your commercial, any, any type of commercial property is valued on the stream of income that it throws off. So the more you can increase your rents, the more valuable your property is. So as that path of progress expands out to you and past you, um, then things around you start changing and everything, uh, the quality of everything starts changing around you. And again, with your own building, you start attracting better quality tenants and improving the value of your building. So um, that was step one. Step two is then once we identified the areas we wanted to be in is just cold calling all the brokers in the market and introducing yourself and telling them what you're looking for. And that takes a while to develop relationships. I'd say 90% of 80 to 90% of the, the asset uh, deal flow runs through the broker community. And that's, so you need to develop strong relationships with the brokers in that area because they're the ones who pretty much understand and move markets. So developing relationships takes a while. You're not just going to get a, you know, a screaming deal right off the bat. You have to develop relationships and they're going to test you in the beginning. Um, they're going to want to know what your criteria is. They're going to send you, they're going to send you probably, you know, not always, but they may send you crap in the beginning. Uh, just to test you to see if what you like and what you don't like. And if they, if you truly know what you're looking at, you know, how good your education, or are you just someone else that's coming out of a seminar, calling them, telling them they want, you know, 150 units and, um, and B class locations, B and A locations that are in C condition, like the worst property on the block. They probably get a hundred of those calls a week. So it takes a while to just really establish yourself and, and develop not only your personal relationship, but, educating them that you do know what you're talking about and that you do have the ability to close. Um, so, you know, a lot of those brokers, they don't want you to come in and say, you know, yeah, I want a hundred unit building. And they ask you, well, how many units do you own right now? And you say none, you know, they're just going to be like, okay, yep. Here's another one. You know? Mm -hmm. So our, our approach was like, look, of course we love the hundred to 200 unit buildings, but we know we're not there yet. We're starting out like show us the mom and pops. Show us the 20 to 50, 75 unit buildings, because there's not a lot of focus that are on those buildings when you start getting into other markets. You know, everybody is in there and you're competing with family offices and institutional when you certainly get up into a certain price point, but efficiencies of scale really re are, are reached by about 150 units. So anything from 150 units to 300, 400 units, you know that there are wagons of of operations that are much bigger stronger and efficient than you are um reviewing and analyzing those properties that's not to say that you can't get your hands on them but in order to actually close you have to have the right team around you so if you have the right team around you and you can and you can um 
and you can, uh, you know, take on those types of deals and go for it. But if it's just you and a couple of other people that are also trying to break into that business, or maybe somebody has a little bit more experience, then that's where you got to shop and you got to cut your teeth before you can grow. Same thing when we did, um, you know, with the, with, with the development side, you know, we started with, and granted we did start with a giant, you know, gut renovation, but then the project, a couple of projects after that were small single families, just small cosmetic renovations. And then we came back to the multifamilies because we realized we didn't want to be in the single family space. So you guys got to jump in at some point. And when you, a lot of deals are curated or, or controlled by a broker community, you almost have to prove yourself to them first and then you can start to build. So that's generally the speed, generally speaking, that's the way we approached it. And, you know, we took down our first 28 and now we're, um, we're starting to look for more assets in that location, which could be bigger. Got it. So, so the current assets on the management number is 28 at the moment or? No, well, 20 is 28 out there. Uh, and then locally here, we have another three, uh, probably another five. I think yeah, it's another five units that are locally here uh, as far as just cash flow properties. So um, that's it. So we've got, we've got experience with your residential multifamilies and we've got experience with something a little bit more sizable where you need to not only understand the physical asset itself, but how to work with a managed company and how a managed comp and how to manage a manager. Uh, I think that's very mm -hmm. important where a lot of people may jump into even just, Hey, I want to own a three family and I'm going to hire a property management company to do that for me. I mean, you're, you're it's yeah, sure. It works, but I don't know if you're going to make any money off of it because it's only a three, it's only three units. And mm -hmm. if you're giving so much of the, the, the cash flow away to, or the, 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 the cash flow coming in away to a management company, you know, what are you learning? Like, what are you learning as far as, you know, your repairs and your maintenance and how the building operates when you only have just one small three family, get in and get your hands dirty and then scale up and understand when you're working with a manager, you have to understand their contracts and their processes and what they charge and how they charge. And um, you need to have a little bit more scale in my opinion, to have a, a solid manager. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. So again, coming back to the brokers, I think you, now you're having a little bit different conversation with them. Cause like, Every time you talk with them, it's like, oh, do you have something going on? Yeah, we have, you know, 33 units going on. So we go, okay. Yep. So now the, the conversation is a little bit different than, than exactly. you know, we're just starting and, from zero. So Well, absolutely. And it's just like anything else, right? If you have a broker that is, when they start digging on questions on you and they say, because they, you know, look, they don't want to waste their time, you know? So when they sit there and say, well, you know, what's your experience, how, you know, it's, it was e a little bit easier for me when we started getting into that to say, look, I only own, I mean, at the time we owned um, seven units. We sold off one of the, one of the properties a year or so ago. Um, I, I own seven units just as a, as small residential stuff, but I've been developing and syndicating larger, you know, development deals, a couple million dollar development deals. Um, like I, I, you know, it took that, Ex explanation to some of these brokers to have the light bulb go off and say, yeah. okay, he knows what he's yeah. Yeah. He, like, he may not own a large asset or anything like that, but he knows what he's talking about. And he's willing to go down into that 20 to 75 unit mm -hmm. area. And you know what, that immediately tells them, look, he knows what he's talking about. He knows where he needs to start. And yeah. okay, great. Uh, one of the large brokers, I got like the top broker in a market, they may not get a lot of those 28 unit buildings because they're off peddling institutional size stuff, 300, 400 units, but it's other, it's other, maybe junior level, junior level associates that are out. They, they make the calls may come in, but they'd be the ones to actually be assigned just like for them. They're not ready to go take on 300 unit listings. They need to start smaller with the twenties to fifties to seventies. So, so that's where you start developing your relationships with some of the smaller people. And then as those smaller guys get bigger, as do you. So it, it works and, and you have to be able to convey to the broker community that like, look, I'm just, I'm starting, I'm here and this is what we're doing. This is our goal. We want to build out, let's say we want to build out 150 units of smaller assets before we start taking on 150 unit assets or hundred, uh, excuse me, hundred to 150 unit door uh, uh, asset sizes. So, and we're okay with that. And, you know, because at the end of the day, that's, that's generally how we want to build our, our reputation and our experience. And 
we want to be successful. We don't want to just jump into something and, you know, throw our hands up. Like, I wish we would have known that. So yeah. that's it. That's how, it, that's how we went about it. So you, you also are sponsoring some multifamily properties at the moment, right? I'm sorry. Say that again. I apologize. You also are sponsoring some yes. deals as well. Yeah. So yeah. So well, we sponsored our own deal on, yeah. on the multifamily side. So, um, which was another benefit of going in and, and starting smaller. And, you know, you, when you try to jump into, let's say, a 150-unit building and you don't have the liquidity, you don't have the experience, um, you don't have the net worth, well, you have to bring all of that in on the general partnership team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what's going to eat up a lot of your um, potential profits in a deal. You might find a great deal, but you're going to have to give it all away in order to get the deal done because the lenders won't lend to you if you don't have the the right team in place so it's a, that's it's a very important piece of multifamily is making sure you have the right team in place in order to to operate the property because the lenders won't lend to you in in that instance so we were able to sponsor that deal and um you know we've we've been uh we've been looking at a couple of other deals that other people have brought to us and uh as a sponsor and i've reviewed them and you know i just I didn't like the the economic profile of them. There was one thing or another. I just saw his red flags and said no. So, and and that's okay. It's okay not to do a deal. So um, that's okay. We just continue to build our portfolio and the opportunities that come to us from there. Then we'll we'll evaluate them at that time. Yeah, yeah, definitely awesome. So talking about your experience being as a sponsor, I would like to hear your take and maybe some nuggets that help you to raise nine million dollars of you know people's money. So like, yeah. what's the story behind that? So, I mean, it's, it's been a cum, it's a cumulative number. Um, and you know, it started out with friends and family and, uh, I, you know, my first bit of advice to anybody who is going to be raising money is understand, understand markets, all right. Understand investing and have, have a financial education as to, you know, what does the stock market provide for returns? You know, what are stocks? What are bonds? Like know the difference between the two, know the difference between those types of investments. Um, understand how money works, understand inflation, deflation, uh, understand the fed policies, uh, the, the, those types of things, because all of those, the, the more you scale into more sophisticated investors, you know, those are the conversations that they like to have. When we started out with uh, friends and family, I think with where most people do, you know, even at that point, we were moving forward with, you know, we figured out how to put a PPM together and how to uh, present an actual uh, investment offering and putting the numbers together and, and information about the asset and the commute and the market and um, how much we think it's going to take to for construction and the timeline and what we think you could sell, sell them for and looking at the the profit margin that comes out of that and how much money do we need need to cover all of that expense and how out of how much profit we make how much do we need to give back in order to make the investors happy so understanding all of those types of metrics and how it works um is is good because when you do start working with friends and family They'll certainly give you a skeptical eye, but for the most part, they'll be a little bit more lenient with you, at least in our scenarios they were. Uh, and we were able to raise the money and we, we were performing. So, I mean, we, and we hit our marks. So um, once you start performing and you're performing successfully and being able to say, hey, we generated a 20% annualized return for our investors on this deal, now that we're doing, now we're gonna do another one. It's easier to expand that circle. And as you go on and on and on in your business, you just start meeting people and people ask what you do and, and you tell them like, you, you are, you know, you are a real estate syndicator, you develop. And, you know, at this point now we do multifamily um, and we're always looking for uh, opportunities to help others increase their, um, you know, their savings, their investments, their retirement portfolios. So it's um, that's how it started. And, you know, the best times to be raising capital is when you don't need it. You know, so if you need money and you have a deal sitting in front of you and you don't have capital sources 
that know what you do, when you go out and try to contact them, you're going to look desperate mm. and de- like you'll wreak a desperation and, and that'll get people to pull back. But if you can engage people and, um, and tell them what you do and say, look, I don't have a project right now, but we're always just developing new relationships when something does come along and this does fit your criteria, you know, would you be interested in having me reach out and letting you know? The answer is always yes, of course. But, you know, what you have to realize as a, um, a capital raiser as well is the fact that just because somebody may have the ability to invest capital and, and to invest in your project, you're not the only game in town. So you may come to them in six months with the p- most perfect opportunity, but they may have already invested in something else because they're talking to other people too. Mm-hmm. So it's a timing it's a timing thing as well, which timing is why you always want to be, yep. you always want to be raising capital um, softly with mm-hmm. individuals and just saying, look, when something comes up, I'll certainly let you know. And that's why you have to build a, a deep stable of people to go to. And, and I think what you end up doing is that you eventually will build up a big enough stable where you can handle uh, a majority of projects that you do. And then as you're doing that and you become more successful, you begin starting to meet, in run in different circles as you continue to, well, again, if, if you are continuing to surround yourself with the right people and you're surrounding yourself with high net worth individuals, you'll learn a lot from them. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a common saying that you always want to be the stupidest person in the room, right? Because if, if you're, if you're the stupidest person in the room, then you can learn from absolutely everybody else that's in there. And surrounding yourself with achievement and uh, with people who are high earners and, and have started their own businesses, like there's a lot that you can learn from people like that or people who own 10,000 units, 5,000 units. There's so much that you can learn from people like that. And you want to create those relationships and develop relationships with those people because you know, they'll help you compress timeframes. Uh, and, and instead of having to go through it all yourself, you could make a quick phone call uh, and, and actually understand something that they've already been through multiple times and they'll help you avoid having to go through that and make better decisions. So um, those types of people, when you're surrounding yourself with that type of success, they have a different, when, when people are successful, for the most part, they, they have a different level of understanding as well. They're going to have more direct questions. They're going to have more, um, more of an overall macroeconomic thought. Uh, they're going to have uh, more intelligence as far as investments are concerned. So you be a- you better be able to answer them and answer them intelligently in order to be able to count on them as a potential future investor. So it's all it's when you're just starting out. If you've never raised a dollar in your life, I get it. It can be very um, nerve wracking. And and like I look, I didn't come from I didn't come from any special background. Um, I grew up, my dad was an electrician and my mom was a, a, an administrative assistant. I mean, that was, you know, it was a, a blue collar family um, just north of Boston. And at the end of the day, like I had to get over, I had to personally get over the hump of saying, who, like, how can I go out and raise, you know, a million dollars for a project? And, you know, I've, I don't even know what it's like to oh, have a million dollars in my pocket, you know? So it's like, how do I do that? Like, how do I get money from people that are willing to write me a $250,000 check? So it's getting over that mindset. It's breaking through those barriers and understanding that you are providing a service. You, you are presenting an opportunity to these people to actually uh, help grow their wealth in ways that they can't do on their own because they're so busy doing whatever it is that makes them their money. Uh, yeah. So everybody, you understand that everybody's in different phases of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who runs a very successful business may be willing to be more aggressive with their capital because they've got a lot of it and they want it to grow. But somebody who may be retired and on the back nine of their lives may want to just be in something that's just more secure and, and they don't want to take as much risk. And they, you know, so understanding those different types of investor profiles and understanding that, you know, understanding risk profiles in your asset and your operating team and the, and the actual amount of time it takes to do something and, and the overall investment is going to speak differently to different people. So you have to be able to understand, uh, understand that and understand. And then at the end of the day, you just have to be able to understand people um, and, 
and that's pretty much it. I mean, that's, that's how our capital raising has progressed. And um, I'd be lying to you if I still said that I don't get a little nervous when I'm going out to, to raise. I'm confident, but there's always, you know, always get some butterflies. But at the end of the day, I know that it's just, it's human beings talking to each other, person to person. And just, if anything, even if you don't raise that capital, you're developing a relationship with that person. You never know where that relationship may come into play. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's always good just to get out there and always raise money when you don't need it. That's a super great advice. I, I love I love everything that you just said, and I think it's uh, for people who missed it. Uh, I definitely recommend to go back and kind of rewind and rewatch the, this this piece of what you said because it's very important. Again, what you said about people starting to have these small conversations with people, even though they don't have any assets currently, but just to get used to the probably, as you said, being you know uncomfortable and having these conversations, just perfecting the the craft. As, yeah. as you know, as that, but as you said, you know, it's very important when you talk with these people, you come from a service standpoint, you're looking to solve their problem in the first place. And again, if you come by that with a passion for real estate, I mean, it should come out naturally at some point. So absolutely. So th this yeah. is awesome. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can also tie that back. You can tie all of everything that you just said, uh, we just discussed on, on raising capital back to the personal development piece we mm -hmm. discussed earlier. And, you know, it's about having confidence and, and understanding yourself and, and being able to, um, you know, work within your strengths. I mean, one of my strengths is just going out and developing relationships with people. I'm a very social individual. So I see that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so being able to do that is it's, it's within my strength and I just naturally enjoy talking to people anyways. So, you know, the mere fact that I have the ability to also potentially raise capital, which helps them and it helps me, um, is it's a it's it's a great bonus and it, and it works awesome awesome so again the the last question that i have here for you again coming back to kind of the why and, and which i'm sure your your family is 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 a big part of your why also uh and the goals you know for your business for, for yourself personally you know there's a lot of people that i'm talking with and you know some of those people said oh i had this amazing business plan for 2020 you know but it turned out the way it it turned out right so we we, we just can adapt and improve and you know change our approach a little bit but like what are you planning to accomplish for upcoming year also like can you talk about your personal and business goals yeah so i mean my business goals for well, the rest of this year and for 2021 is to expand more into um, well, first and foremost, we're going to expand a little bit more on the business side into, we want to get more, a couple more multifamily assets under our belt, uh, and continue to kind of go down that path and help as many people as, uh, you know, have investment investments into alternative assets rather than leaving it to the whims of, uh, the stock market, educating people on self-directed IRAs and, and solo 401ks, which are, it's just like your traditional 401k, but you get to tell, you get to tell the money where to go rather than being pigeonholed into certain products that maybe your company only provides to you. Uh, so you can actually take self-directed funds or solo 401k funds and put it into uh, cash flowing real estate assets that are secured, insured, they're real, they're tangible. You can go out, you can touch it and feel it rather mm -hmm. than a paper asset that can lose valuation like that, which mm -hmm. in my opinion is probably coming sooner rather than later in the markets. Um, the, so that's one piece is, is to continue to um, grow the cash flow side. And uh, second piece locally, I mean, we, we're looking for some cash flow things around here, but we'll continue to kind of explore different opportunities, excuse me, uh, different opportunities uh, in our local market. If we can find cash flow, great. Um, but uh, we're looking to scale a little bit more into some larger projects. We have a, a six unit that's going through ZBA right now in Boston. You know, we're looking to, um, you know, we're looking to get into 10, 20, 25 unit sized buildings. Um, those are the things that we've started to begin to evaluate more of uh, and look at those types of opportunities. Um, we're also, I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I'm also uh, starting a small education uh, business and you know, we are, uh, myself and two partners, Willie Mandrell and Lior Rosansky started a company called Cash, uh, Cashflow Giants, um, which we, uh, have our, we do have our own podcast. We've started that up, which I have to circle back with you on um, and, and get you on that as well. 
So it's, and it's so early, but we just started putting out content. And so being able to share what's in our own heads and our experiences and our knowledge with everybody else, um, people who are, like we talked about, just learning to educate themselves. And they're starting at the, they're right at the start line saying, okay, well, I just need to know a little bit more about this. Um, super passionate about helping people. So and helping people uh, achieve those things. And as I'd said in the beginning of this call, if there's one thing that I can do to help somebody down their path um, to either a different life or to more opportunity uh, or to changes within their own lives. Like that's incredibly gratifying to me. And yeah. um, so those are, those are some, some business goals. Uh, so more, more cash flowing assets, looking at larger development projects and uh, expanding the educational um, space of what we do yeah. from a personal uh, perspective. Um, you know, do more self-development just for myself personally and in my relationships. Um, I want to get better at, uh, I want to get better at goal setting period. Um, it's definitely one of those things where um, I, you know, working on my clarity of vision is something that I'm personally constantly trying to improve. I'm always trying to just improve myself and uh, improve my, uh, my spirituality and, and like how I carry myself with the world and how I am as a dad and like trying not to like trying to be more patient with my kids. And, um, but yeah, I mean, everything around my family, because if I can, you know, I, to balance my time better between work and, and home, um, because I know my kids are, you know, they're 10 and eight. Um, they're only going to be 10 and eight once, just like, Two years ago, I said they're only going to be eight and six months. So being able to enjoy that, the process of being a dad and uh, and spending more time with my with my family. So um, it's it's a lot. And then obviously, in, well, I should say obviously, I've been through coronavirus. Like I got really focused on um, my my habits of you know in, in the morning, every morning. It's and and this is a, a book all of your listeners should read if they haven't read it already. Um, it's called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Mm -hmm. I did that. I read that book. Um, it was that I read that book actually in 2015, right before I started getting into multifamily. So, um, and educating myself on multifamily. Um, so it just, and it, and to this day, I still do a lot of those things. It's, I get up and the first, I don't look at my phone, it's meditation, it's prayer, it's exercise, and it's reading. Those four things are done by eight, 9am every morning. So, and it just sets me out on the, uh, on the right path. So continuing to improve those systems within my own personal life and just making sure that um, I have clarity of vision and that I'm executing on the goals that I want for myself, my business, and my family. Yeah, those are great goals to have. And again, I'm really you know, uh, honored to, to, to kind of get an insights into your brain and you know, the way you think and the way you work in a business. Because again, as you said in the beginning, you know, if somebody will take just one piece away from, from this interview, which I think people can take a lot of pieces, but it is probably going to take for them to rewind and rewatch some, some parts because again, this man's mind just, just going 10,000 miles an hour and you know, probably you will need to rewatch some parts. But it's a really valuable, great content. And again, this man is definitely a go-giver. So I definitely recommend for you guys to go and follow him. Again, all the links are going to be down below. So make sure that you get in, get in contact with Andrew and ask, you know, questions about real estate investing. If you want to invest actively, passively, you, you know, just to have a questions about the mindset, breaking through habits. Again, this is a man definitely to, to get in contact with and, and to ask these questions, man. I, I, I had a great, great time to do today with you, Andrew. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, Martinez. Thank you. And, and again, man, keep up the great work. Uh, you're doing a valuable service for all of your listeners and everyone that's out there to to help educate them and to uh, and to help them as well. You know, be able to take those next steps and um, you know, making you know making progress by helping others is is no better way of of, of earning a living. Here you go. I'm never good at these closings. Like what no, you're you said good. Right, what you said right now, it, it works super well. So I'm just going to ruin it, you know, a little bit. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's that's what makes the conversation. And these interviews, great, is, is people like yourself, you know, who come in in a show and share their knowledge, experience, you know, and how-tos and, you know, everything just gives people insights into how their minds work. Because, again, as what we said, it's 80% of the, on the mindset piece is, is what people are missing. And 
what you gave today is a lot of great, great content. So again, guys, I just ask you one thing. If you think this content is valuable, which for me was super great, I'm probably gonna rewatch it myself, take a bunch of notes, uh, you know, cause it's awesome. Uh, just share it with your friend. If you think somebody will take advantage of this content, uh, of the, you know, Andrew's advice, make sure to pass it along, you know, to your friends. Uh, there's a lot of people, again, who are looking to shift and change, uh, you know, when it comes to their professional background, again, due to COVID right now, a lot of people want to start a business, if it's real estate or, you know, whatever that by me, I think this will be uh, a great answer for those people. So again, Andrew, I appreciate you, you know, spending this quality time with me. Today. Oh, thank you. It's been a true pleasure. And again, guys, uh, Make sure to share this episode. And as always, I'm going to see you on the next show. Thanks for watching.